OPN Ask an Angel podcasts are conversations with global angel investors and venture capitalists. We explore how to invest, understanding investment strategies, and approaches to due diligence. Join us and learn what it takes to be a startup or what it takes to invest in the next great company. Welcome to the Supporters Fund Ask an Angel. I'm your host, Jeffrey Podman, and let's welcome our investor today, Jennifer Renda. How are you today? I'm doing really well, Jeffrey. How are you doing? Awesome. Awesome to hear. I'm great too. Thank you. We're very excited to have you today because not only are you amazing when it's out there in this entire ecosystem of startups and early stage company investing, but you were also our first guest. And today we thought this would be the great way to kick off our next 100 interviews was to have you come back and speak again and interview and give us all the new things that have happened over the last 18 months. So we're excited to have you here today. Well, thanks for the kind words and thanks for having me back. It's so good to be here. I love it. Well, I think we've uh, we've got a really exciting show ahead on kind of how we want to dive into all these great things that are going on in the ecosystem around the world. But I think maybe just for the audience, just in case they didn't catch our, our first uh, chat, maybe you can give us a little bit about your background, kind of where you came from, uh, obviously jumping into uh, your current venture and maybe a little little bit more about where you're going to, in the environment, but at the same time, one thing about you that nobody would know. Okay, and then the juicy detail. So <laughs> um, I am uh, an entrepreneur by heart, I would say. I uh, grew up in a very entrepreneurial family. Um, have uh, a soft spot in my heart for entrepreneurs and founders and the startup ecosystem and the scale-up ecosystems overall. Um, I currently have a technology company that is focused in the consumer electronics industry. We're in our um, approaching our seventh year, so really exciting times, um, not only from an entrepreneurial perspective, but also from a founder perspective, became very engaged in the startup ecosystem uh, here and spent a lot of time um, with different incubators and accelerators um, morphing into the angel investment world. Um, so come to know um, some great angel groups as well as amazing colleagues in the space. Um, more recently, um, have joined as partner at Canada Ventures and we look at deal flow internationally um, and collaborate with companies uh, to help them um, basically enter the North American market. So we collaborate with corporate partners um, and have a fund element as well there. Um, so I guess um, overall, really excited about the ecosystem and like to partake in, in different capacities from a mentorship capacity, from an advisory standpoint. I love to hear all the pitches. So love to be part of many events, um, meet great people fulfill it all, a lot of the curiosity elements and um, and sort of kind of balance between that entrepreneurial perspective and also the investor perspective as well. So yeah, an, an amazing journey so far. More to come. Awesome. Well, that's exciting. And, and it's more amazing is that you take the time to actually give back to the community and focus on helping other founders in their journey, which is pretty cool and, and exciting. Um, probably a, a fine balance between what you get to do every day and then obviously jumping into pitch events and, and quarterbacking uh, the efforts of, of growing early stage companies. So uh, kudos to you for that. Sounds pretty exciting. 
Thanks. And I think at least from, from my journey, there've been a lot of um, amazing uh, people along the way that have helped. And I think that's part and parcel of the community. Um, so a lot of founders really should uh, exploit the, the um, uh, communities around their industry or around the startup space generally to collaborate with other people. There are so many um, angels and participants and stakeholders that are really willing to help. So uh, it's a great, uh, a great space to leverage. Brilliant. I love it. Uh, and one thing about you that nobody would know. Oh, yes. The, the interesting point. Um, I have a, if I could be the next Danica Patrick, I would love to be. So I uh, enjoy like motorsports and um, taking things to the track and um, auto slalom and stuff like that. So I've done a formula race as well in a formula car and a lot of fun. I think that's where I like release all the adrenaline on the track. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. And when you did the the formula race, where did you do that? Was that in, I'm going to, I can't remember the spot, but there's uh, a couple of different tracks that you can do that aren't too far from the GTHA. Yeah, there's uh, Mossport, um, which is now uh, Canadian Tire Motor Way and a really exciting place. They have some cool events there as well. Uh, one over the summer where uh, they showcased a lot of vintage and, and new uh, vehicles. So it's a lot of fun. Amazing. Well, now I'm going to have to share a story that uh, I actually went to that track about three years ago. And I also participated in uh, a nice uh, race around the track. And I ended up wiping out. Ooh. And um, well, it's a really small wipeout, to be honest. But they do tell you that if you wipe out uh, and you go off the track, that you need to disembark or make your way off the track. But that's if you go off the track. Okay. So as I was racing and I did a 360, spun around and kept driving, they declare that as going off the track. But I never actually left the track. I spun out on the road while keep driving. So they ended up trying to say that they needed to flag me off. But because I was driving quite quickly and catching all around, I kept going and they didn't really try to stop me, but then they did try to stop me and they were waving, but they weren't following their own protocols, which was flag and everything else. So I ended up doing two or three laps uh, whipping around the track. And then eventually they jumped out and they were furious that I was supposed to leave the track. But to my point, they said only if the vehicle left the track, which it never left the track. So I ended up winning the award for the, what was it? Something like the least, viable to race or something like that. And I laughed because uh, I was crushing their numbers, but they weren't too happy with my approach. So, Well, Jeffrey, in my books, that's called stunt driving and a lot of fast and furious <laughs> watching. So <laughs> maybe yeah, I might yeah, make it into that. the movies. <laughs> exactly. Next gig. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Many funnies there. Many funnies there. But it was, uh, I will say that it was pretty amazing. I did enjoy every moment of it. So I'm sure it's not to the same level of what you were driving, but I will say that um, if I was the least to succeed as a race car driver, I have the award. There you go. Awesome. <laughs> that yeah, place it's all that matters. It's all that matters. Uh, but that's awesome. That's a, it's a great uh, pastime to have. And, and uh, like you said, it gets the adrenaline running and it gets your mind off everything else. Cause you got to focus <laughs> on the immediacy, which is keeping your car on the track. Yes. 
Now, speaking of motivation and keeping yourself moving, there was a few things that I really wanted to touch back on. And this is pretty important to the way this whole ecosystem has kind of been shaping up and growing. And uh, man, there's so many things that are happening in not only in Canada, but globally, but we'll specifically focus on the Canadian side. Um, as you're building out your teams and you guys are really bunkering down, you're at six and a half years, almost seven years into business, things are growing really well, taking my investor hat off and going right after the entrepreneurial side. What do you, how and what do you do to motivate your teams to grow and build within your business? Yeah, and that's a really good question. And I think people who know me well know that I don't take the team portion of things lightly because I think that is where the magic happens. Those are the people who get the things done. So uh, building a great team is essential. If not, I would say the secret sauce to every organization. Um, that being said, how do you do that? How do you you know, motivate the right individual. So finding them is one thing, right? But how do you make sure that they're invested as much as you are as a founder? And I think, you know, um, when your team takes the vision of the organization upon themselves and they take what they do um, as a direct representation of their responsibility and their ownership, where they have free reigns in a sense that they're able to take their tasks and make them their own. Um, that's one thing that I think is really important. So having the ability from a founder perspective, sometimes it's hard to relinquish a lot of our control of things. Uh, being able to do that is really important. And from an investor point of view, you know, seeing a founding team that has the capacity to understand that you need to relinquish um, controls from a perspective of not having the bandwidth to do things, but also from a, a um, either a technical or expertise standpoint as well is really important. So having people take ownership of their roles is one way to build motivation. Um, also understanding that your team is a collaborative and cohesive element. So making sure that you're building an environment where people have the ability to collaborate, to work together, to work together in an atmosphere that um, promotes innovation, promotes discussion, promotes transparency. And I think all of those things are really important um, to build a common vision because you don't want any messaging or um, ideas of where leadership is going in what direction to be disjunctured. I think that cohesion within the team is really important. Um, another thing that I tend to spend a lot of time doing is, you know, it, um, building opportunities for people to collaborate and enjoy time together. So if I can facilitate um, events now, I mean, that's changed a lot too in our times, but how can we utilize the space we have to make sure that, you know, we have some team building happening um, that's reflective of, again, community building and sharing of ideas too and sharing of people's time. So I always say that your workplace is somewhere where you spend most of your waking time during the week. Um, and it should be a place where you want to be 90% uh, of the time. Like we work hard, we hustle, um, but it's a place where you, you know, left foot, right foot in a direction that you want to be in. So spending a lot of time making the environment um, enjoyable is important. And I think the last is transparency from um, the founding team as well with their employees. So being able to have, you know, a quote unquote open door policy, you should have 
the ability to be able to talk about issues openly uh, with your team, be transparent, um, be there and willing to address any of their concerns. So I think those things are ways, you know, beyond obviously the financial compensations and, and other ways, the traditional methods of compensation and motivation. I think all of those things matter. Making it a place where people want to be each day. And I think those are obviously all super valid points. Now, when you're diving into the regular forms of, of compensation, how, do you have to offset those now today because of the talent pool shrinking? Well, at least it feels like it's shrinking uh, because there's a lot more companies that are coming about. So a lot of people are changing where they're working or how they're working. So do you find that you have to continue to motivate through a compensation? Or can you really offset it with a lot of the initiatives that you're talking about where you're bringing teams together, you're collaborating, you're running events? You know, what is the fine balance and what are what are people really looking for? And have you been able to explore that in the recent, during COVID, I guess, over the recent 12 to 18 months? And has that changed your perspective from the previous years that you were running your company? Yeah, and uh, really great point, because I think, you know, pre-COVID and during COVID and now uh, at whatever point we're at, um, there have been changes into how you best grow your team. And, you know, fortunately for some companies, they've been in a position where they're um, needing to grow their team. So how that looked traditionally um, is not necessarily how it looked maybe in the past year. So as we've been hiring, um, you know, we've run into different challenges. So I think from a compensation point of view, fair is fair and those things matter, right? Um, but from a talent pool perspective, I would say that we've encountered some, some differences. Um, one being, you know, the smaller talent pool that's been available to us uh, from a hiring perspective and what that really means um, for many businesses. So um, the challenges of people taking on new roles and, and taking on new uh, growth, basically growth choices in their careers have been offset by some of the subsidies we've seen from, from the government and so on. So it's been sort of a competition to get people out of kind of a climatized uh, comfort per se to getting back into the swing of things, um, fostering innovation, working uh, towards the next steps in their careers, um, you know, updating themselves with some of the changes in technology, et cetera. So there've been challenges that way. Um, and also challenges how, in how we integrate as a team and um, some of the changes that, you know, may seem subtle, but, um, you know, wearing masks in, in our workplace, like hiring people without actually like seeing what they look like is sort of weird too. So if I had to see them, you know, without a mask, it'd be sort of strange. So a lot of the things that we could do uh, from a team building perspective has also evolved. And how do we make that happen in, in our new environment? And how do we, um, you know, we're staggering um, lunches and our lunch times and how does that look and how does that interfere with how people engage with one another too. So uh, there have been challenges in that regard as well. Nonetheless, I feel that it's gotten a lot better. Um, and I would say that we're on a path where finding talent is somewhat um, less daunting as it was earlier in the year, uh, but still something that a lot of founders are probably struggling with right now. And you find that 
some of the challenges now after 18 months of living in a box, I guess, and being afraid to be close to somebody or have no mask on that when you're trying to hire someone, they just want to stay home and work and do zoom and you're kind of have an in-office presence. So how do you kind of convince somebody that, you know, in order to work for us, you have to be on site. And is that even a thing now, or when you hire someone, it's, it's your choice. It's not your choice as an employer. It's the choice of the employee on what they want to do. And you kind of have to adhere to it. Is, is that the policy or are you still able to push, Hey, this is, we're a team, we're a unity. We need to be here. This is how we operate. And does it still work or do you get a lot of pushback from talent? Yeah. So um, I guess the fortunate thing has been uh, we haven't uh, needed to close our doors essentially. So we've been here throughout it, probably how I kept my sanity throughout of COVID having somewhere to be uh, most of the time. Um, that being said, uh, some of the roles that we hire for require the person to be on site, um, which is sort of part, part and parcel of what's required. So we can't really uh, kind of argue that point. Um, if it was possible for some of those roles to be remote, would I be against that? Absolutely not. Um, but at the same time, I think there's sort of a divide. You get the individuals who are very eager to get back into um, the socialization element of their careers and their and their in their workplace, and then there are people who really have that hard stop. And if if that's the case, then I guess um, you know just the match doesn't work, right? Um, so you get a bit of both, but it's obviously one of the pieces on the checklist where you know you need to be um, in accordance with each other that that's what's going to happen. So hiring for in person work is generally. Um, more challenging now than it was before, obviously, but um, it's still it's still doable. And there are a lot of people who really want to be back into the swing of things. I guess it's look for those people that want to be back in the swing of things because they probably got a lot more eagerness to keep uh, running and gunning. Uh, I, I noticed that in the news, they uh, they've now and again, I don't know if this is everywhere, but they've claimed that there will be no longer snow days because you can log in and actually take school online during a snow day so uh, someone wrote thank god i grew up when i did because i still was able to have snow days so today they're going to turn them into work days so it, it kind of takes that same perception is that you know now we can work 24 7 seven days a week there's no issue where you are as long as you've got a laptop you can plug in and work I, i'm guessing that benefits yourself uh, your business um, but is that a motivation for the employees when they come into a business um, and I'm going to take it again from that founder's perspective. I'm trying to build a scaling company. I need to move quick. Um, I've noticed a lot of companies have started to um, hire people all over the world today. I don't. I can't say how well it's working for it because it is a different um, style of business development. What I'm really more curious of is the people that are coming out of school that you're hiring. How are they adapting to the non-collaboration, not being in an office? you feel that there's a slowdown on their learning because they're not bouncing into conversations at the water cooler or in meetings and it's less personable? So do you feel that there might be less knowledge transfer and people that are not being as sharp as they should be because they don't have that same collaboration? I would argue definitely those things are missing. The concept of really, you know, building that team and collaborative approach 
doesn't happen well, especially when you don't know the individuals you're working with ahead of time, um, you know, starting somewhere new. Uh, is it possible? Clearly it's possible. It's happening each day. Um, is it preferable from my perspective, you know, maybe f- being more social, I would prefer that to happen uh, in person. Um, is it something that is enticing from a hiring standpoint? I would say I'm, many people would jump at the opportunity to have a, a role that requires them not having to be in the office each day and working remotely. Um, does it bode well for many companies? I would argue yes. I mean, um, it's easy for me to get things done wherever I am as long as I'm connected, right? Um, and so, and that's applicable to to many organizations and totally cool. Um, but I do think that the human piece of the puzzle is really important, not only from your team perspective, but even something that I've struggled with from a client perspective, right? Or let's say from an investor to investee perspective. So it's not just um, within your team, but also how that translates to your relationship with your clients. Like lucky we have these deep relationships that exist currently. So it's easy to move forward. What about, you know, um, business development and, and looking and approaching new potential clients, especially when a lot of these conferences are virtual, like it's very different. That approach is, is not what it used to be. So how do we reinvent ourselves there? But then when you look at it from an investor perspective, um, you know, how does that relationship work when you have existing rapport with your portfolio companies? I mean, those conversations are quite easy to pick up, but if you're looking for opportunities, how has that changed over time? If you're um, a founder looking for investment, how has that changed over time? And, you know, we've seen, you know, Jeffrey yourself from some of your initiatives that you've done and a lot of the things that have had to actually everything that has had to go virtual, how that's changed the dynamic. Um, but I think that affects all stakeholders and all relationships within each subclass of stakeholders too. And it's fascinating you say that because even when you, when you're working with your team and, you know, maybe when you worked in an environment, you had 10 touch points per day where you were seeing nodding, shaking hands, waving at people on your team inside of the space. Now maybe you're having one touch point every two, three days because you don't have that same interaction. So does it lose the person personality of the whole collaboration? And then even with investors and being able to integrate into the companies or talk with their portfolio companies, we're starting to see companies that are pitching that don't have an office and they're purely 100% virtual. So does it scare you to think, man, if everything's virtual, what am I buying into? And, and will this company be able to be successful if their team is scattered all over the world and they've got a founder and I can't track them down or her down because they're nowhere to be found? Um, they're on this digital stream somewhere living as a nomad and I, I need an update or what's going on with uh, the company or with this line of business because you're not in that collaborating space as much as you used to be and what we're used to. Um, and now that that's all shifted. So does your mind start to go into, I need to wrap this up tighter and closer and, and bring more controls back? Or do you kind of just play out with it and see how how the business grows and if you can scale in the same open space that you aren't really used to anymore? I would say that um, in light of the recent initiatives that we've taken on at Canada Ventures and looking at global opportunities, I think that in and of itself has been something that 
has changed perspectives in terms of that arm's length approach to how we choose companies to engage with. So it doesn't necessarily mean that they need to be, um, you know, in your city or in your country or um, a reference from someone who you know locally um, in that particular market. Um, Now dealing with those types of challenges kind of um, opens the door to being more um, welcoming of some of the other things that you mentioned. So the idea that people work virtually or they're not um, sort of the traditional setup of an organization or they didn't come out of, you know, a facility or an incubator or an accelerator. It's just the, the nature of that. So I think the band-aids already been ripped off to be um, open to these types of situations and, and that's okay. And I think it's becoming something that uh, we need to be, um, we need to normalize essentially, especially when you're looking at international deal flow and international opportunities. Very cool. And I, I do agree that eventually, if we're not already there, you have to start looking at the opportunities, regardless of how they come to you. And, you know, even if they don't have an office or they don't have one location, it's, is it business or is it something that we can invest in and let them manage how they're managing their distributed team and, and go from there? Um, I guess in a way, it will always create some sort of tension when uh, you're looking at your own business and saying, if I can't distribute everybody on my team and I have to have an office because it's how we get things done, how does everybody else manage to get this production to move forward? So you have to jump through your own biases on how you operate in order to ensure that you can be less rigorous against the companies that you potentially might invest in that are running separately and diverse all over the world in hopes that they're going to be able to hit their initiatives at the same time. So it's a a mouthful, but I guess there's a a lot to to learn as we keep moving forward. On the, now to take a step backward and kind of layer in this one more piece, um, you've built up these strong teams, you're getting people motivated and business is moving along nicely. Now you've got one more constraint that kind of holds things back a little bit, and that is the government band-aid. And what they've got this, uh, well, I don't know how long it's going to go for or what it turns out to be, but you have this desire for universal income. How does this affect innovation, company growth, and scaling? Because at the end of the day, the talent pool, I would think, only keeps shrinking when you start throwing and sprinkling more money out, and this isn't just in Canada, this is a global uh, phenomenon that's happening where everybody's looking at maybe creating this uh, global income that allows everybody to survive. Does this now affect you from a a founder perspective? And then of course, putting on the investor hat, uh, does this just become another government regulated concern that we all try to work our way around? Um, or again, you leave it to the founder to decide and and just let them kind of operate in the way they need to. Yeah, that's um, a really interesting topic. And I'm going to answer from, a, I guess, a Jennifer perspective. Um, and one of my um, greatest passions is uh, innovation, creativity, curiosity, and knowledge. And I think... Um, when we look at the idea of universal income, I feel challenged in making sure that those things are actually achievable. And so um, I feel as though 
there are things that we provide for people in terms of motivation, um, in terms of um, ways to propel themselves forward, opportunities for education, um, obviously financial compensation for things. And I feel that universal income could really stifle a lot of the innovation that we see or have the potential to see in some emerging economies as well. And so um, just like we had to reinvent ourselves in prior situations and transitions um, within society, I feel that we have the capacity to do so again. Um, and we are able to um, make sure that we can evolve uh, certain job opportunities so uh, people can be trained for other things that evolve from the transition of some roles into more automated roles. And there are always peripheral things to support that. Not only that, but there are emerging industries that you know, are very attractive to investors currently that have the potential to generate a lot more opportunities from a career standpoint as well. And so I think from a human level, we need to have the ability to be agile, to support um, innovation. And through that, I feel that, you know, more of a competitive landscape would foster those sort of visions um, above and beyond a universal income approach. So in taking that approach, does that put you on the right side or the left side of universal income? I would argue that there are other ways to solve the challenges that uh, universal income looks to solve. I don't think that's a solution. Um, and I feel that there are many other ways to um, reinvent ourselves um, and like leverage a lot of the things that are available to us to come out of those challenges in a more um, innovative and prevalent society, I would say. I think that um, if we look at it from a, an innovation standpoint, it would be stifling. So in taking that, and it just crossed my mind that um, if we were to dive into the comment that Prince, uh, Prince William stated the other day that all of this space talk and spending money to travel to space is the wrong way to go on an innovation scale is that we should be focused on the people on earth and the things that are going on here. What is your perspective on that? Do you feel that we are always shooting for the biggest dollar in the wrong spots and that we're not taking care of our own business? Um, and again, to your innovation standpoint on how things are working with this universal income, taking that same kind of stance to say, hey, this isn't right. And then you're right, maybe we shouldn't be going to Mars. Maybe we should be figuring out how to solve our own garbage, our own environmental issues and everything else so that we can be sustainable and innovative and focus all of the mind power that we currently have on Earth and spend those extra dollars that we're kind of wasting on sending an old dude up to space for 10 minutes is uh, probably not as effective as spending those billions on figuring out how to clean up garbage in the ocean. What are your thoughts around that? Yeah, interesting. So I'm a, I'm generally a and this and that person. I'm not a this or that person. So being with that mentality, I feel that we can do all of these things. I don't feel we need to choose one of these things. And I actually would uh, support the idea that we do all of these things. Clearly, we have many um, 
outlying issues in society currently to deal with. Um, that's, you know, no doubt about that. Um, is there anything wrong with exploring space? Uh, Mars, it's just a one-way ticket, as I know currently. So not sure I'm signing up for that one. But uh, yet, <laughs> but the point being, I think that we can do all of these things and I think we can do all of these things successfully. Um, we have brilliance globally. There are amazing people everywhere with the capacity to do amazing things. So what we need to do is, um, you know, from a, an investor perspective is to facilitate those, to support these individuals, to make these things happen, to bring them to fruition wherever they're located whatever foundations they come from. And I think with that mentality, you're able to support, you know, cleaning up the, the, the garbage and, and sending whomever to space, right? We can do all the things. But is there become a priority list? So if you only have so much resources, do you tend to pull back on certain things that, you know, in the case of I'm using space only because it's, um, everybody wants to go to space, everybody thinks it's amazing but we're only going to have to go there if we don't fix the rest of the problems that we have. Uh, and don't get me wrong, the world's gone through quite a bit of stuff in the last two years. Um, I think we've seen our face in the mirror quite a bit and had to kind of make some changes in general. But if you were to look at what that innovation looks like and how we tackle that innovation, um, do you prioritize things like hitting, uh, I know we're getting a little political here, but like hitting uh, um, the carbon footprint changes that are needed, things like that. Do you try to shift the way innovation is being looked at and say, you know what, we're going to fund these areas because they're highly important. We're going to push the climate accord. We're going to push these things to get those into the forefront because maybe they haven't taken enough of a stance over the last 10 years, but today it seems more prevalent that they need to be pushed. And the innovation is probably only a scratching the surface on how depth, how deep we can go to really innovate and then forcing corporations to start pivoting and innovating quicker and faster as well. So now you're taking that brain power that might have been associated with sending a, a rocket into the into space and putting those resources into something that's going to be a little bit more um, innovative and effective for um, global gratification, if you want to call it that, over the next 10 to 15 years. Yeah, I, well, clearly I'm... I'm not arguing that we just let's all pack up and get to space uh, as much fun as that would be. And as much um, people miss pulling a luggage around, um, I'm not sure that's the case. But uh, what I would say is that for things that matter, um, generally speaking, I can maybe argue a few industries. I feel like we are doing the right things to encourage growth in those areas. So for example, um, in biotech and health tech and drug discovery, uh, we look at a lot of the um, support mechanisms that exist from some of the large pharma players having labs set up for companies to, to, to grow, to have lab space available to them to run clinical studies, um, to, you know, get to certain points within the drug discovery platform to help solve a lot of um, human um, disease-related issues, which is one example. Something that's really important to me is education and how do we make sure everyone has the ability to access education? And so, you know, we have initiatives there. Um, then we look at, you know, clean tech and green tech 
And so a lot of focus being put there, not just from a corporate perspective, but also from a startup perspective. So I would say that um, things are happening. Do we need to do more? Of course. Um, do we need to collaborate more? And I would ar argue absolutely. And I think if we take that approach, we can maybe fast forward a lot of these things. So it's not necessarily that we're lacking talent. What I think is we're lacking collaboration. So do you think then in the next, say, five to 10 years that government takes a stronger stance in where they're funding dollars in order to drive that collaboration and drive that innovation into clean tech, into health tech, uh, because these are important issues that are being surfaced every day. So allow the governments to push that um, innovation side, which then will drive more people to want to spend their money, which I think would then, investor-wise, which then would kind of fall into your the line of um, here's where innovation's going and here's some hot sectors from your side? Yeah, I, I would argue absolutely. I think that obviously we need the government support for a lot of these things, assuming they make choices that um, resonate, uh, then obviously that those initiatives coming from, from that perspective really help. Um, I mean, it encourages a lot of the players, right? The, the bigger stakeholders. Um, it encourages investors to invest in that space. It encourages people to partake in those industries to study and educate themselves in those spaces. Um, so definitely that would be part and parcel of a complete solution. Um, and I think it would be probably necessary to make those things happen, at least in, in many countries. And from that innovation standpoint, can you give us one or two areas that you think will be really hotbeds in the next two to three years or five? <laughs> I would argue that health tech and biotechnology is probably because I'm a little biased and they're near and dear to me, but this is really where a lot of action happens. Um, and something that I think is going to, you know, it's a lot of uh, subsets of those industries have been validated through COVID, right? But that was not looking at it even from the bigger picture. From the bigger picture, I think this is a, these are industries that are really important and exciting and are relevant. Um, another one is um, like clean tech and green tech. And I think as societies move towards smarter cities, like how do we navigate that? What do the peripherals look like around that? And I think that's a really interesting place. And um, a third, I can go on, but maybe a third for, for this conversation would be FinTech as well. So I think those three larger areas are something where, um, you know, innovation is happening, people are partaking from a founder and funder perspective, um, and that are relevant, um, obviously currently, but as we move forward. Is there one, one area that you've kind of touched on or across over the years that you felt that just never really got in any innovation and it's kind of prime for that? Interesting question. Because hmm. I think like it feels like everything's, it's kind of like when you go to the movies, you're like, ah, oh, they'll never come up with anything innovative anymore because every movie's been done. But then every year they come up with a thousand more movies and they're all just as exciting and innovative and cool. And you're like, man, I just thought they ran out of ideas. How is this still possible? So are there any sectors like construction's gone under a massive rehaul? So that whole area has really changed a lot. Is there any other one sectors that 
just pop out and you're like, this is incredible. What's going to happen in this space? Or, Hey guys, here's a hint. Take a look at this one. Um, well, I would say logistics is really interesting and that's evolved immensely more recently, but like, how do we navigate that moving forward? How do you be creative in that space? So I would say that's a pretty interesting uh, place where things have shifted a lot and things can continue to shift um, and be really interesting as we move forward. So I've seen some startups emerge in that space and I find it really exciting and I know, I, I know it well. So I, I'm interested in that, but I feel that there's way more to come in logistics. So kind of uh, like taking the, um, oh, what's that tube where they're going to put people in and shoot them across. What's that tube called? The, um, oh my God, the Elon Musk tube or whatever that thing was called. Anyways, it's like taking that type of thing instead of making it about getting people from one city to the other in less than 13 seconds going through a hyper hyperloop. There you go. Um, going through a hyperloop that you'll actually start shipping products that way. So doing other ways to move products and goods and uh, from drones to this, that, every type of technology out there, that it's going to allow for logistics to work that much more seamless, quicker, faster, and reduce emissions while doing it. Yeah, it's a it's an exciting space for sure. I like it. I agree. It's uh, it's pretty cool. Um, all right. Well, I think we've kind of gone on a nice little journey there. I, I think I, I really enjoyed the aspects of what it takes to build a team, how to motivate your staff the government side and how they kind of have to play a part in order to help move this along. But I think at the end of the day, the whole thing comes back to is that as a founder, there are a lot of obstacles you're going to face in a business. And as you're kind of working through those and you touched on this, the team becomes heavily important on how you can operate your business, scale your business. How do you empower those people in the team? And I think from all the interviews I've done, majority of people always say that they'll invest in an A team and a B product because they know that that team is what's going to help them carry them into the future and scale that business. Is there any last thoughts or comments that you can share on not only from an investor standpoint, but from a founder standpoint on what you think can really round out your opportunity as a business so that investors like yourself would be interested to jump in? Yeah, I guess um, I think this is a, a life lesson too, is that we're a reflection of the company we keep. And so making sure that those around us um, are the right individuals to be around us, to support our vision, um, to fill in the gaps. Like we're not the, the end all be all of everything, understanding where we stand, filling in the gaps accordingly, that your advisors and investors are also the right advisors and investors too, um, that you're able to share your journey along the way uh, with the people who may not jump in now as part of your journey, but may jump in at an appropriate time as part of your journey. So making sure that what you surround your company with are the right things. So, you know, watering your company well, I would say, um, surrounding yourself with um things that add value to what you're building. I love that. And it, I think it to summarize that last part is you need to challenge yourself. And in order to challenge yourself and your business, you need the right people inside it and outside of it to continue to push you forward. 
and help you and your teams scale and grow. And that comes from having the right people surrounding you on inside and outside your business. Absolutely. We all report into somebody, I guess, and we want to make sure it's a good person that's helping us push the needle, right? Absolutely. I love it. All right, we're going to transition now into one big question. And um, to me, this is kind of the way that I, I love to find that entrepreneurial story. What does it take to be an entrepreneur? And this question just totally always floats the top for me because every time I'm sharing stories, I love sharing stories about how a founder did this and she came from this and made it, crushed it and did this in, in the space or it was innovative is crazy and everybody loved it. Is there a story that kind of resonates with you that just really shows and pops what it takes to be an entrepreneur? Okay, I'll give you um, an insight into something that happened to me um, a long, a few moons ago <laughs> uh, when I first started. Um, essentially, uh, there was a lot of thirst around, you know, building this great portfolio of clients. And there was um, sort of a need to, uh, to have some sort of invoicing to happen, right, to cover all the overhead costs. And so I would say maybe a bit of desperation to, to have clients down the pipeline. And I remember hosting a few meetings with a potential uh, client and um, they were really pushy in that, you know, they understood that, you know, we were starting, uh, they understood our position, um, but they were really lowballing on a lot of things. And as much as it was, you know, exciting to think you can have a checklist in front of you and say, you know, add this person to the portfolio and awesome checklist. This is new client. It's not just about that. It's about checking off the right boxes, sometimes in the right order for the right reasons. And when I thought about it, I was, you know, it was perplexing because it was very enticing, but at the same time, it didn't make business sense and it wouldn't do my team the small team that I had at the time, any justice. It was like undermining all of the principles and values of the business and the vision. And, you know, it didn't really make sense. We would not be putting the company in the right position. And so I guess from an entrepreneurial perspective, knowing when to make the right decisions and say, you know what, this deal is not for me um, and to not sign on the dotted lines and to walk away from an opportunity takes um, a lot more work than to say, yeah, I'll, I'll sign up. And having the foresight and vision and capacity to say, what does this deal mean for the company in three years, in five years? What does it mean for my team? How much do I value that? It's that uh, visionary capacity that sets an entrepreneur apart. And you know, walking away from that chance or, you know, it wasn't really a chance when you reflect back, but knowing when to walk away is, uh, is a, an interesting skill to learn. Um, and understanding that at the end of the day, all the fingers point at you. So making sure that they're pointing at you in a positive way, rather than, you know, making decisions that don't foster 
the support of the longevity of the greater vision of what you're trying to build. I love it. And it, and it really comes down to, well, understanding yourself and supporting the mandate of where you want to bring the business and that not all client work or all contracts are worth taking if it's going to jeopardize the culture or the growth and opportunity of your business. Yeah, definitely. Um, but those are hard decisions to make in the moment, especially when you're in the, the beginning stages and um, you really, you know, you're thirsty and you want that traction. Um, difficult decisions for sure. So never lose sight of the grander vision. I love it. And you know what, like you said, that can be tough when you're in the thick of things and you need some dollars to cover off X or Y. Uh, sometimes you might gravitate to it, but you know, just stick to your guns and know your value and uh, uh, always look at it as you draw a line in the sand and say, I don't want to cross this line because as soon as I cross it, uh, then I can be end up doing things that I'm not going to be happy with. So try to, to stick to your values and, and drive forward. But that's some great advice. Huge. And know, your, know your value is, uh, is huge. Um, sometimes like step out of the chaos of things and really understand not just your value today, but what you perceive your value to be moving forward. Because those de decisions may pigeonhole you in a certain sector or a certain capacity within your space because of, of um, the value that you, or perceived even value that you've now placed on your company. I love it. No, that's some great advice. Actually, that's amazing advice. I'm just going to cut that out and post it everywhere because uh, awesome. I think every early founder goes through this exact same scenario. Uh, it's almost like your, um, uh, your badge of being a startup founder, you have to go through this and it is the toughest decisions you're going to have to make. And I think that's uh, well put on how you have to kind of hold your own and, and make sure that you don't accept anything less than the value that you feel you own and have. Brilliant. All right. We're going to transition now into our rapid fire questions. All right. Let's do it. All right. Here we go. It's one or the other. We're going to start off with business. Founder or co-founder? Founder. Unicorn or four-year 10x exit? Unicorn. Tech or CPG? Tech. Brand or tech? Tech. AI or blockchain? AI. First founder, first time founder, or second or third time founder? Ooh, that's a tough one. I'm gonna, oh, this is really a tough one. I'll go for the first time founder just because I think it's encouraging because we all start somewhere, right? <laughs> Agreed. Uh, first money in or series A? First money in. Angel or VC? Angel. Board seat or observer? Can I give commentary on that or I just have to pick one? <laughs> Rapid fire. Yeah. Rapid fire. One. Board seat. <laughs> okay. Safe or convertible note? Uh, safe. Lead or follow? Oh, okay, this is rapid fire. Lead. <laughs> Equity or interest payments? Equity. Favorite part of investing? 
the ability to satisfy the need for curiosity and being part of a innovative journey with amazing people. Love it. Number of companies invested per year. Five. Preferred terms. It varies. Depends on the deal. Okay. Verticals of focus. Mostly health related opportunities. Mostly, but there are left and rights there. What are two things that st- that need to stand out on a startup to have you want to invest in them? Team, scalability. Perfect. All right, now we're going to go into the personal side. These will be more rapid then. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, book or movie? Movie. Superman or Batman? Batman. Pizza pop or ice cream bar? Ice cream. Five minutes with Bezos or Oprah? Oprah. Arsenal or Manchester United? Juventus. (laughs) (laughs) You have to accept that one. I'm trying to find Arsenal fans, but I will accept it. Okay. Uh, bike or rollerblades? Bike. Big Mac or Chick McNuggets? Big Mac. Trophy or money? Money. Beer or wine? Wine forever. <laughs> Alarm clock or mobile phone? Mobile phone. Hotel or hostel? Hotel. King or rich? Rich. Concert or amusement park? Concert. Fortune cookie or birthday cake? Fortune cookie. TED talk or a book reading? TED talk. Is life boring without Trump? Somewhat. Missing the tweets. (laughs) (laughs) The action has died down, the noise as well. I love that question because it is entertaining for me anyway. (laughs) Um, all right. I think we already have the answer to this question. Oh, I was supposed to change the sequence of questions. Anyhow, favorite sports team? Juventus. Favorite movie and what character would you play in the movie? Okay. I'm really bad because I watch movies and then I just, you know, move on with my life. So I'm not really good at this. Love the movies thing. Um, can it be a Disney movie? Could be anything that you really like. The something that pops in your head. You're like, I really like that movie, and I want to play this character. Cool. Or so that I character would, represents me. I would love to be Moana in Moana because she is such a free spirit. She travels the ocean to, you know, really uh, has that exploratory nature to her. Very curious. Um, loves her heritage as well. Adventurous. Um, and yeah, so I am Moana. I like it. I thought that was great as well. Did they not have a, they haven't had a sequel for that yet or did they? Well, they, they should hurry up on that one. Cause I want to know I where agree. my adventure takes me. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, all right. Favorite book. Favorite book. Um, 
I think it's a good life lesson book and it's the um, Mark Manson, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fudge. Um, A lot of things that you can take away from that book that are really interesting in life. And one of the things that I like most about it is, and I reference it sometimes when I think about what I'm doing, like to have a purpose behind the things that I choose to do. And it's understanding what you're willing to struggle for. So struggle is awesome. Um, And struggle kind of weeds out what you should spend your time doing and what you shouldn't. So what is it in life that you're worth struggling for? Um, And those are the things you should choose to do. And the things that are peripheral, you shouldn't give a fudge about. I like it. All right. Next question. Most famous person that pops in your mind. Right now? Yep. Leonardo da Vinci. I like it. First brand that pops in your mind. Porsche. (laughs) Nice. All right. This is the very last question. All right. Make it count. What is your superpower? My desired superpower is to have many clones because I want to dabble into so many things and I feel my list of to-dos never gets crossed off fast enough. Um, But my real superpower is the ability to be a chameleon. And that means that I can alter myself to navigate any environment that I come across. And that really bodes well when you're traveling and when you're dealing with different um, companies and when you're dealing with different life events. And so I'm a human chameleon. I love it. I I will say that uh, of all of the scenarios that people have provided, that's my favorite because as far as I can remember, I always say I'm a chameleon. I adapt to everything and everybody. So it's quite interesting. Um, I do see that as well in you. So I think that's uh, pretty amazing. But adapting in the environment that you're in, not just from an entrepreneurial standpoint, but as an investor, I think it's a very strong skill to have. And because you see a lot of companies and bounce in and out of a lot of those companies, it's amazing that you kind of have to bounce around, but adjust to all of the personalities of everybody pitching all the other investors and everything else. So uh, it's a pretty amazing skill set to have. So awesome. I love that. Well, cheers to the chameleons. To the chameleons. And then people will now know what a chameleon does and how they operate. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah, brilliant, brilliant. Well, Jennifer, I want to say thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, I had a lot of fun, learned a lot. I, I will show my book because I took a lot of notes, double paged, uh, right like crazy. So again, thank you very much for coming back uh, to be not only our first, but to be our hundredth. And we should put another footnote in there. I don't want to say a thousandth because that is a lot of interviews. So that might be a long time from now if we go to that one, but maybe we can find another uh, uh, pinnacle milestone for, uh, for where you are and where we end up landing. And maybe we can have a, a regroup around that, whatever that number is, but we'd obviously love to have you back. Um, and maybe it doesn't have to be in a hundred shows. It could be, uh, something more often, often, if you will. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Jeffrey. Always great speaking with you. Um, 
a lot of fun and uh, thanks so much. Awesome. Well, the way we like to end our show is we want to give you the last word. So anything that you want to say to investors, to startups, to anybody out there, I turn it over to you. But again, thank you very much for sharing everything. You're awesome. Uh, and again, thank you. Thanks, Jeffrey. Uh, we're all a reflection of the company we keep. So from a personal and professional level, uh, make sure you surround yourself with the things that bode well for your greater vision. And um, when you can be, be a chameleon. <laughs> Have a great one. Okay, that was awesome. Uh, Jennifer came back for our 100th episode. So that was kind of cool that we got to interview her way back in the day. And then we got to interview, well, first, and now we get to chat with her again. So taking a different perspective and hopefully we'll get to do more of those. But, you know, I, I think from the conversations around motivating team, building a fantastic team, you know, does this universal income offset the way you build out your team? Are people getting too laxed? You know, how is that going to work and how does that affect a startup from an investor and from obviously a foundering standpoint and team? Um, I love the fact once you got into, you know, you got to have a common vision, transparency, open door policy. Um, you know, everything comes back to innovation. How can you continue to innovate your business to improve and always be better and make sure you got the right people supporting you inside and out? Uh, all great stuff. Um, thank you very much again, Jennifer, for, for coming back and, and helping us celebrate our 100 and look forward to uh, chatting with you many more times. So thank you everybody for joining us today. If you enjoyed the conversation, please subscribe to our YouTube channel or follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and or Stitcher. You can also check us out at supportersfund.com or for startup events, visit opn.ninja. Thank you and have a great week.